Hello and welcome to episode 263 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And we're calling this episode Making the Case as we will finally, finally be talking about the Great Ace Attorney. Not talking about talking about it, but actually talking about it. Took us long enough. But uh, we're also doing that thing we do where the title works on multiple levels for this episode's topic, as we're also going to be making the case for why, if you're not playing, not yet playing Knockout City, you should, and uh, for perhaps why Nintendo announced plans to revive, of all franchises of theirs, Big Brain Academy, with a new Switch entry coming in December. Uh, oh, and a literal case uh, with the LEGO Super Mario 64 set that was announced on Thursday. Uh, plus, we'll be discussing... Uh, first gameplay details on Marvel's Midnight Suns and continuing our kind of on-again, off-again anniversary series with a look at the legacy of Sonic the Hedgehog, which is turning 30 this year. So, per usual, there are timestamps for each topic on corresponding... corresponding I can't talk today. For the corresponding blog post, you know, that's over at Rantan.com. Uh And I don't know about you guys, but minus my inability to talk, I'm ready to dive in. How, how are you two doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty ready to dive in as well. Doing good. I am pretty tired, but I am here. Once again, popping <laughs> up in a uh, Rockstar Pure Zero Fruit Punch. Rockstar, get at us. Sponsor us. That'd be long. Rockstar, you can hit us up at contact at ramnintendo.com. And I think by saying that out loud, any bots that are listening to us are going to start spamming us. But that's our email. We never tell people to email us because like, it feels so passe. But that's how you email us. If you want like, if we ever want to do a mailbag feature, that's where you send the letter to or the email. Um, But yeah. I am right there with you, Kevin, in terms of tiredness. I made the questionable choice of staying up till 3 and then waking up at 8. So you and me both are going to be – maybe that's why I can't speak today. I don't know. But anyway, uh, let's jump in. It all starts with what we've been playing and specifically at long last, the great Ace Attorney Chronicles, which uh, Angel – perhaps this is the biggest victim of your favorite concept, which is this idea that there simply isn't enough time to do everything uh, because this is one of your all-time favorite franchises, yet you you haven't started the game yet, have you? Nope. Not even been able to open the case. Just been that busy. The only time I really get to play video games lately um, is usually in a group setting, and which usually means they'll either be like Smash Brothers or Knockout City, which I definitely have been playing a lot of both, but yeah. Like, I really wanted to talk about Ace Attorney. Just wouldn't happen, so at this point... Like, well, at least I don't well, and it, it's, and it's kind of it is kind of a unique game to talk about, though, right? Like, because if you're a diehard Ace Attorney fan, really, I think the only conversation you'd want to hear is how it stacks up once you complete the story. Like, is it captivating? Is it well written? How are the you know the new characters? All that stuff. Which, in this case, uh, Chronicles, you know, includes both the great Ace Attorney games. There are ten chapters of pop. Uh, it stacks up to being about sixty hours of content. So I kind of get why, like, it would be hard to talk about on some level. And, you know, right out of the gate, if you ever like the series, the fact that you get all that content for 40 bucks plus vaults of music and art. And if you get one of the initial runs, it comes with even more music and art and a little download card. You know, that, that kind of says what you need to know about the value proposition here. Um, so yeah, I, I can understand, especially for you who have, who's played every single game, that would be hard to just sort of be like, yeah, I, you know, I played 20 minutes. Here's what I think. But, um, and honestly, it's for the best. hmm. I mean, at least all I heard about it, you know, just because I've been, I mean, this game isn't quote unquote a new game. Like, this is really, this game came out a long time ago in Japan. We just, like 2015, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this game, um, you know, obviously because like we never got it, I've just been keeping up with the development, wondering like, wait, why aren't we getting this one when we got, you know, like Laden versus Fe- actually. Mm-hmm. The ordering, I guess the release ordering of these games, I like, guess, all messed up. Just because, um, I just like the way we got them here versus how they originally came out. Because at least, like, you know, I've, my brother has, is the one that's actually been playing it. And as he was playing, I got to ask him a few things. But knowing that this game, at least chronologically, came after Laden versus Phoenix, which shares a lot of its, I guess, you could say mechanics, but also, Apparently it makes it seem kind of dated compared to some of the newer ones, which I'm definitely curious to see, but, you know, just like, at least mechanically, just because you have seances and it's Attorney 6, which came out much later than this. And even just looking at visuals and videos, it's like, oh yeah, you could tell like they, the, the team definitely was building up to 6, but. Right. You know, I I do think what's interesting, though, is there's a lot of folks who maybe haven't played every single entry to the full extent or the re-releases or the re-re-re-re-re-releases, you know, that keep – these games have been released how many times over? Uh, And I I certainly fall in that camp. Like I'm actually – I'm probably the most – I am the most lapsed type of Ace Attorney player you can be. The last one I played, as I told you guys before, was the original Phoenix Wright way back on the DS shortly after it came out. And – you know, they're, like you're like how you're describing how you and Elvis like RAC comparisons to six. Like I think for a lot of people, I I would guess, especially with the Switch and kind of how it like renews interest in franchises, I would guess there's a lot of folks that this is like kind of a, a returning point for them to the series and maybe they haven't played in a while. Yeah, and honestly, that's kind of a good thing because you know it's not attached to the other six games. You could literally just play yeah. this one and not be confused because you don't need to know who Phoenix Wright is. Yeah, yeah, and like to be completely transparent here, I'm still just, you know, scratching the surface with Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Um, but what I want to talk about, what I kind of found interesting is, you know, the actual experience of returning to a franchise like this in the first place. Because like, yes, as you point out, you know, the stories are unique, the characters are all new, uh, the setting, it moves away from the original sort of modern day pseudo LA into a turn of the 20th <laughs> century Japan. Or Japan if you played in Japan. What? Or Japan, if you play it in Japan, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and this one is, regardless of where it's localized, it is in Japan and Great Britain. Um, and, you know, they introduce all sorts of new characters like, uh, Herlock Sholmes, who is both, uh, a surprisingly poor detective, but also certainly not a copyright dodge of Sherlock Holmes. No, Herlock Sholmes is a very original character. But, um, yeah, in many ways, I don't know, the experience coming in as a lapsed player that I, you know, being the player that I am, it feels, it feels very reminiscent after this long gap of something like a new Super Mario Brothers or like a similar sort of 3D-ified reboot of something that was once 2D. Like if you played the old sprite-based Ace Attorneys only, like me, uh, you may recall how characters sort of cycle between like three or four canned animations that serve, you know, as different types of reaction. Here's the prosecutor shocked you got smart him. Here's a witness with a, a tell that they're hiding something. Here's the judge with his little gavel animation or his nodding animation. And, you know, each person tends to have a funny accessory or personality trait that gets exaggerated in these animations. And with Great Ace Attorney, all that holds true. It's just now cel-shaded with 3D polygons. Uh, it's very much like when Capcom did like Mega Man 9 after so many sprite-based Mega Men, or even in a way how like Metroid Dread is kind of a 3Dification of 2D Metroid. But what surprised me um, with that, with the presentation style, is that I thought just having those canned animations would feel kind of stilted since clearly these polygonal folks could be rendered more fluidly these days. And like, you know, like you were saying, Angel, the series has, this game is six years old. 
Uh, and yet it still has its charm. Like I, it doesn't feel dated. It just feels like Ace Attorney. I mean, mind you, a nicely HDified Ace Attorney with some pretty like practically watercolored uh, backdrops that these characters are plopped on top of. But still, it just feels like Ace Attorney. And that kind of held true as I kept playing it, you know, with so many of the mechanics too. Like having, you know, not played the series in 15 years, more, I was surprised, you know, I was surprised how much is kind of like riding a bike almost. Like you just kind of slip back into the core mechanisms of the gameplay, those thought processes of what to look for in evidence, you know, during trials and that sort of thing. Uh, so much so that I even slipped back into my old nitpick I had from back in the day that like sometimes you kind of figure out where a case is going and what evidence to present before the dialogue wants you to get there. And it's so refreshing. You just like have to sit and wait for the game to catch up to where your head's at. But, you know, that tiny nitpick aside, what I think um, Greatest Attorney does quite well is offer sort of subtle expansion of that whole system. Again, I'm talking, you know, only the original Phoenix Wright as my base here. But I do like how they kind of ramped uh, up the back and forth volley of cross-examination of witnesses to not just be you and one witness, but actually multiple witnesses at a time. Or if you're uh, in the Great Britain, Britain portions, there's, you know, members of a jury where if you if they choose to find your defendant guilty, you basically get to poke holes in their logic by talking to them. So there's like all these other, you know, I mean, both both editions are kind of ultimately the same basic system. They say something, you call it in the question, maybe you give evidence to back your questioning, but it does add sort of another dimension to the very core gameplay, like with the multiple witness thing, how it works is instead of just watching one witness's testimony and looking for a tell, uh, they may, you know, tell that they may be lying or something. You can now have sets of witnesses on the stand and you keep an eye on if the second one does something, like a thought bubble may pop up next to them or their body language reacts to something and they could tap on the D-pad. Um, or the touchscreen, the game supports touchscreen. But if you're playing on the TV, you could tap the D-pad and start questioning that person too. And it does this great little, like, excuse me, in the same way that it does the objections. And again, it's not like this or the jury system drastically changes the gameplay. And, you know, there's probably more advanced stuff in other Ace Attorneys. But if I were to run with the kind of Super Mario Brothers, new Super Mario Brothers analogy again, these enhancements sort of remind me of like when in new Super Mario Brothers 2, Nintendo was saying like, hey, coins matter now. Like, how you go about collecting the coins or, you know, cracking courtroom cases in this case, it's some change in terms of the actual mechanisms. But even these, you know, like, even these uh, enhancements, behind them are the same processes of finding contradictions or holes in logic. It's just focusing on parts of the courtroom that weren't in the past of Ace Attorney at the time this game first came out, focused on. Just like how, you know, New Super Mario 2, like, sort of turned a side object coins into something that's more of a main focal point. Although, again... I may be a little off base here with how his turning has evolved since I'm coming from the first one to this one. But Angel, do, do these system variants, you know, have they done this before? What are the mechanics and other entries like? They have, actually. Like, uh, I mean, this one was like one of the earlier 3D ones. So after this one was when we had the psych lock. Well, not the psych locks, the, the psychoanalysis where you have um, Athena... Essentially scanning someone for their emotions. You have to say their testimony. You pretty much have to say like, oh, you're saying this like happily when it should actually be sad because you said you're sad. You know, like some, that's a very basic example, but that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. And in Ace Attorney 6, like you have something called seances where you literally see like the last few moments before someone is killed and you hear the sounds, you like... You see, like, I guess, like, noise. I don't know. Like, there's, like, a bunch of words that come in. Like, you know, the, what they're thinking. And it's all literally what they're seeing. And then 
you have the prosecutor essentially interpreting the seance and like why how they think it is that they died based on what they saw and you have to pretty much put holes in that this jury system like has been a thing before in Layden versus Phoenix and from what I can tell it seems like it's pretty much the same which you know like Jason said these are all just like new ways of kind of doing things that have already been a thing mm-hmm and like you know especially like the fact that you could get like two different statements from two different you know jury members and then like pair them up against each other like oh what you said contradicts with what they said but yeah i mean they're all kind of they just keep finding ways to extend or because they know like the court parts i feel like they're definitely more interesting than the investigation parts yeah and definitely over time they've done their best to turn the investigation parts or at least add as much courtroom style stuff to it like i know in this one they have like something where like herlock sholmes is like pretty much interpreting what he think happened and you have to like poke holes in it using evidence yeah you literally are correcting him because he like is wrong all the time (laughs) yeah exactly and like in the past you know you have the equip like the equivalent of that and that still kind of carries over to newer games is like those cyclox moments where you have to talk to a witness or like a you know someone who's a suspect, like in the investigation phase, and you're just trying to get a story out of them. But then you have to, you know, show them evidence to kind of get them to tell you the truth before court even starts. So it's almost like a mini, like cross examination before you even get to a cross examination. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's cool. I mean, like, is the I mean, while the mechanics are all basically still doing the same thing, but in different ways, like, how are those presented at least? Like, is the, like, those, like, what you mentioned, like, the Herlachshund always being wrong moments where you have to correct them? Well, that, like, that's, what's, that least... that's what's interesting, is I think perhaps the one spot where Great Ace Attorney stands out, although, again, maybe I'm wrong, it's just the underlying tone of the game, if, if that's what you mean. Like, like, the style of it is just... It seems much more mature in a way. Like the the game is absolutely still goofy with characters. I mean, the fact that Herlock Jones, who becomes your partner in Britain, like is constantly wrong. Like obviously, it doesn't take itself too seriously. But you know, the the setting of the late eighteen hundreds or nineteen hundreds is kind of like Capcom. Um, kind of play with deeper themes of weirdly enough imperialism, racism, the West general view of Japan at at the time. Uh, again, I'm only. You know, on the cusp of everything unfolding in the game, it's 60 hours, but it definitely caught me off guard when, like, the British woman in the first chapter was so blatantly talking down the Japanese, their society, them as a people, and it does, it all, it is all kind of packaged up in this kind of old timiness. I mean, not necessarily in the day to day dialogue, like the, you know, it, that's somewhat modern, but just, you know, science, it's the birth of scientific, uh, evidence and things like that. So there's a lot of kind of those little, like, historical notes as it goes. And again, because it's kind of about this duality of, the Japanese, you know, empire versus the British empire and Japan, at least some people in Japan feeling they're subservient to Britain and Britain feeling they're superior to Japan. Like it's a very surprisingly serious sort of backdrop for the game. So mm-hmm. if that kind of answers your question, I don't know. <laughs> kind of. I, I, I got a different answer than I'm satisfied. Okay. I mean, I was uh, just mainly, to... well, I, I mean, we... I was just talking to, I, I was mainly asking like, how they try to make those, cause I mean, Cyclox in the original Ace Attorney and even the modern Ace Attorney are, like, are essentially very static. You're just kind of talking directly to the person. There are these, like, locks that appear on the screen. And as you 
Like, oh, the, oh, the yeah. Thing I they see bring. Yeah, so, no, so. And, 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 and lately they've been trying to get more elaborate with like some of these things, like, you know, in later Ace Attorneys, you know, you know, have like the part where you zoom into like different parts of their body. So you could say twitching or. Yeah, I see. So, what you, mean. you meant the actual, um, like literal presentation of the gameplay mechanic. And I went straight into the presentation of the game. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> fair, fair. No, it, so it's kind of a mix, I guess. Um, which again, you know, kind of probably goes back to the fact that the game is from six years ago and they've made others since. But, uh, the stuff in the courtroom is very much just, you know, you see the character animate, you react kind of dialogue box stuff. But, uh, the Herlock Sholmes stuff is kind of interesting that you actually have to like line up your like physically line up like what he sees with what you see if that makes sense like it's like an overlay thing um so it is a little more elaborate than just like zooming in on a piece of evidence and going there and then hitting x to present um but yeah it's definitely not it, it's probably somewhere in the middle of the pack i'd say based on what you're describing in terms of like how wow. elaborate like you know it for me ace attorney because i only played the original phoenix right was like oh everything's very static and then the final chapter on the ds like look you can move objects in 3d and it's like whoa so this goes you know a little beyond that but it's not i don't think it's the peak of their creativity in terms of how in-depth they get with the mechanics it's it's very you know still menu driven and still kind of just cursor based and you know that sort of thing if that makes sense mm. yeah it does. yeah but um and you know i do realize that I mean, we said a few times, uh, the game, these two games first came out on the 3DS five or six years ago. There are two of them, Grey's Turn 1, Grey's Turn 2. Uh, and maybe the series has gotten a little more mature, um, you know, just to my point about like how. Well, I mean, one of the later ones is literally rated down. Yeah, so I guess it has. But like coming from the original Ace Attorney on DS, like that contrast in, in tone, like it does. And I guess even the one that's rated M eventually, it does kind of feel like the developers know. The initial fans from the DS era are getting older and are kind of willing to toy with that more mature stuff and carry the series with the fans aging. And, and, you know, it still keeps the spirit of the game. Like, overall, it's very... It still has the goofiness. It still has the lightheartedness. It, I, I made this comparison on Twitter the other day, but in terms of tone, it actually kind of reminds me of all things of that Only Murders in the Building show, which is, you know, Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez. And it's like lots of sarcasm, lots of kind of quippy lines and one-liners and silly moments. But like under it, they tackle some like actual issues and there's stuff like, you know, one character is dealing with being alone and one character is dealing with a family that's kind of blown him off and like all these kind of more serious things and yet it's sort of wrapped in this kind of silly package and i feel like ace attorney kind of does that too and it's a fine line to walk so i'm definitely curious to see how they handle it as i keep playing but it's you know for coming from the goofy 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 original it, it's a big difference um and i guess that's kind of just my broader feeling about grace attorney chronicles at this point is i'm just curious to see where it goes like can they pull off everything as they are so far because like if i had to <laughs> make the case uh for this game I'd say, you know, the foundation's familiar, the foundation is strong, there's just enough little changes to make it fresh. Uh, the lingering question is, will that be enough over the course of the game, especially for someone dedicated to franchise like you, Angel, who have seen mechanics go in other directions, maybe more advanced directions? And, you know, that that's something obviously I can't answer, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, once you finally dive in, how you feel about it. Yeah. But that's at least the lapsed. Ace Attorney fan perspective on Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Um, but if we're talking about making a case for a game, I would like to direct everyone's attention to Exhibit B, Knockout City. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait before mm. we move on, though, I, yes. I did have just one random little nitpick with the game. Yeah. That, I don't know why it bothers me, but, like, you know, they've said multiple times, I mean, you are playing as, like, 
an ancestor of Phoenix Wright. I mean, and the fact that he has pretty much the exact same, like, I guess, poses. Like, when he's painting, mm-hmm. he has the exact same nervous... I mean, it's literally like they took yep. all the Phoenix animations and just, like, swapped the hair. He almost looks a lot like Phoenix. And personality-wise, he also seems like he's a lot like Phoenix, which, you know, is fine. The only part that kind of gets me just as a, you know, long-time player of the story, it just feels like, wow, what a coincidence that his great ancestor used to be a lawyer as well. To be fair, like, to be fair to his like, ancestor, he wasn't exactly in chapter... Yeah, it, it's it's the bloodline. But no, to be fair to his ancestor, just in chapter one, he's not exactly gung-ho about being a lawyer. It's his friend who's the super good lawyer. They're in school together, yes, but he's like, oh, I'm not cut out for this. And they kind of evolves into it. So it's not like... No, that's like That makes it even more of a nitpick. <laughs> yeah, okay, because, that's fair. That's fair. Because um, it's, it, it's the exact same thing with Phoenix. Phoenix didn't actually want to be a lawyer. It was all like incredibly circumstantial. Oh, that's true, yeah. Like he, he just wanted to be a... He only became a lawyer specifically... To help out a friend that once helped him in elementary school because they were in trouble. He felt like they lost their way and he thought the only way to help him was to be a lawyer. It's not like he wanted to pursue law because of something he wanted to do. It was like right. he yeah, and in, in this so one. The fact that, so it's like, you know, like, oh, eh, I, they just happened to also become a lawyer as well through circumstance, I guess. And, and to your point, in this one, yeah, he is defending himself and has to become a lawyer. So... It is kind of similar, but th- but it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the so game. So I guess, well, it goes I back to what I was saying a little. Lawyer runs in the family, I guess. Yeah, and, and the, the circumstantial having to become a lawyer. Um, but no, I was gonna say like it kind of goes back to the comparison I was making to like New Super Mario Brothers, where like I wouldn't say this is a full reset of the game, but like it definitely, you know, in light of you saying there's more advanced systems, in light of the the fact that's on Switch and present is oh, way Super first, Mario like, Brothers, so it's release. bad. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I just mean like the idea of like it's kind of not exactly a soft reboot, but it's following similar beats and it's doing a that, that, that was a, just a dig at the new Super Mario. I know, I know you fans. hate those games. <laughs> hate those games, Jesus. But, but it is kind of or fine. Here's a comparison we made before. It's like uh, Super Mario Party versus Mario Party, where they kind of did like a soft reset of stuff. It's like new, Animal Crossing: New Horizons versus um, uh, New Leaf, where it's kind of like they sort of scaled it back, but then the beats are very similar, even if the things within them are a little different. And I think that's somewhat intentional because I think they, you know, this is the first physical Ace Attorney game release, the first major release of an Ace Attorney game that get you know has marketing and stuff in. I don't know how long, and I'm sure on some level, Capcom Slots has the opportunity to kind of bring in laps folk like me. Would so you it, would you recommend this hmm. to people who absolutely have never played an Ace Attorney game? I think so. I think. Um, I mean, you have to be into kind of narrative-driven experiences. It's a lot of dialogue. Um, if you've never played Ace Attorney, one thing, and I was kind of alluding to this when I was saying, you know, sometimes your head gets ahead dialogue, of the story. Yeah. But, like, there will be times that, like, they say the same thing, like, three or four different ways. And you'll be sitting there. And it's because they want you to get to know the characters and personalities and their reactions. So, you know, it'll be like one of the leads will say something out loud, then they'll think it to themselves, they'll say it out loud again. Like, all that sort of thing. But if you're in it for the story, like, oh, like so far, stories – yeah, it, I was about to say, it's kind of like an anime. If you're in for a story, though, um, it's it's fun. It's, it's you know, the mechanics are simple enough to pick up and play, but it is just kind of fun. And if you really don't want to play and you just want to watch it like an anime, there is an autoplay feature. Um, so you can literally hit minus at any time on your Joy-Con and it just goes by itself and just just watch. So, yeah, cool. I think I think it has some, like, lower barrier you've been playing than it? other entries would. Hmm? I'm guessing that's how you've been playing it? No, actually, I have not. Thank you very much. I've been actually doing the casework like a good lawyer. But the, 
So, so I guess that so that begs the question. Um, not that you've talked about it on the podcast. Is <laughs> it done? No, no. I'm actually. I mean, kind of we all know goes. we we all know once we all know once the cartridge leaves the Switch, it never goes back in. So, so it's it, it, Wario just came out yesterday. Yeah, so it's, it's only a matter of time before Wario goes in and. Chronicles yeah, and then after Wario there. on Tuesday, by the time most people listen, it's Cruising Blast, and then it's uh, just under a month is Metroid, and yeah, it's it's a slippery oh, slope. Yeah, this game. Yeah, this game. But is dead. but 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 the thing is, but, the damn, thing is, unlike other games that I ditch, this game is literally all story, and I'm pretty decent about you know like uh, story stuff. Will I get how far did you get in um the Batman Telltale game? Did you okay? Bad example. It? You want to know how far I got in the original <laughs> Ace Attorney? I beat it fully. Or no, I stopped in the final chapter. Nonetheless, I beat all the core original Game Boy Advance game before it was ported to DS. Yeah, when was this though? That was back uh, when two thousand five. But you don't need to keep score; it's fine. Uh, but but I think I think or maybe two thousand six. But to your point, I do think I'm gonna go back. Well, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through all sixty. Fingers hours. crossed, you do get further. I don't Hopefully think I'll make it through all sixty, but I could see myself. Oh no! I, I, the, I mean, you get far enough that you are. You know, because usually what happens with Ace Attorney games, at least for me, is once I get to like. The third or fourth chapter, or like, you know, basically halfway through is when I, you reach a point in the plot where you just can't put the game down and you just kind of like end up playing it like every night just because you have to know what happens next. Yeah. So I'm just hoping you get to that. Like, man, well, I want to know what happens One next. thing that did already sort of jump out at me about the game is I was, before it came out, reading up on it a little and reading some reviews and stuff, and multiple folks were saying that unlike like it's two different games right it's chronicles it's a compilation but somehow they i don't know if they tweaked the story if the story just they planned it out when it was sequels but it all intertwines extremely well i'm not saying we gotta get through all 60 hours but multiple people were pointing out that like for a game that's a compilation it actually feels like one holistic story like better than most do so that's kind of interesting like it how did they pull that off so you know, because you can't. I mean, you could do a direct sequel. They did a direct sequel, and the stories can pick up where the other left off. But apparently, stuff like loops back, and like there's all this intertwining. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. But like I said, well, I get through all sixty hours. I don't know, but I could definitely, I, I definitely gotta continue. Yeah. Cool. So, but back to my. Um, so that I, I, I want to do the transition a second time because I'm so proud of it. Uh, so that was me making the case for Ace Attorney. But if we're talking about making a case for a game, how did I word this for? Uh, I would like to, did I say direct? Yeah, direct everyone's attention to Exhibit B. I think that's all I said. Knockout City. Uh, we've talked that about this game the second before. time around. What? No, yeah, because I kept no, stumbling great. and wondering. Yeah. I know, I wasn't sure if I was uh, I, it right, I do it all I the time. You're fine. Yeah, but, <sighs> say I love you. But yeah, no, we've talked about Knockout City uh, before. It started with me trying to bay and saying, hey, you know what? This is kind of like... Platoon meets arms with Mario Kart has a Nintendo vibe, could be a lot of fun. Then it evolved at launch. We had Angel joining the conversation at that point, being like, if I remember correctly, has potential. We'll keep playing and see. And I don't know if the developers at Valen Studios took that as a call to arms or what, but Angel, you and I have been playing Knockout City basically weekly in one of our game night groups. Um, you mentioned you play it beyond that. It's one of the only two games you play at the moment, it sounds like. So correct me if, if you feel otherwise, but like, this game has really come into its own since it launched. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was literally playing it from, like, 10 to 2 a.m. yet, like, last night. Just pretty fun. Did it? Kevin, have it's you played really... it at all yet? No, I still haven't played it. Mm. Well, maybe this is the pitch to get you to play. We will make the case for it. Um, I mean, because, Angel, what, what got you? What, what hooked you ultimately? 
Hmm. What hooks me ultimately? Or was it a slow build? That is the the question of the millennium, isn't it? Hey, millennium um, strong, but sure. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I want to say it is mainly the just giving it time, because um, it always had the potential to be like a easy to play, hard to master. But I felt like my first impression of it was that it didn't really feel like there was something deeper there. But you know, I just after playing with more people. Like specifically while like with friends instead of like alone, I guess that's definitely when I started feeling like, oh, this game really has something here, instead of you know just being a little more down on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would just say just like the the layers and honestly sometimes for the animations as well, like a lot of the animations you could get are just really fun, creative. That oh, like the the character like what intro yeah, the MVP animation yeah the yeah the intro outro loss MVP one there's like so many that they have yeah I, I I do think you know from the animations to you you talk about how you're noticing there's deeper there's more to it I, I do think a large part of it is that the developers saw opportunities to improve the gameplay beyond just nips and tucks like whether these improvements were you know on a roadmap pre-launch or gonna happen anyway or if they spun out of feedback from other players uh you know early on there's like a confidence in the designs of everything they keep adding these past couple months like first they rolled out a new stage and a new ball the fizz ball and and just for them people who aren't as familiar with knockout city um there are essentially two types of ball you can throw it's a three three v3 or four v4 dodgeball game uh there's regular dodgeballs which you can charge up for more oomph on impact and there's these special balls which can range from like gravity altering uh, moon balls to a sniper ball to the aforementioned fizz ball uh which explodes soda all over your opponent's screen and temporarily obstructs their view um anyway the ball okay sure new ability to account for that's cool uh, in the same, you know, it's in the same way the, these balls serve as kind of like power ups you get in arms or Mario Kart. You know, it adds some an item that can alter strategy a bit. But what I mean that they're getting more comfortable is, at least from my perspective, they're starting to like kind of layer things better in the in the gameplay. Like first, there's that stage. I mean, obviously, first there's the ball. So second, there's that stage, and it's not a static stage. It's it's Hollywood themed as a central area that literally shape shifts between different set pieces from cities to castles to a giant bed. Um, but it, it means in a way that you're strategizing around four or five different layouts instead of just one. And it's just that much more variety, you know, with the devs toying with different types of obstacles and heights and other aspects that can affect your performance. And, you know, they, they know the core mechanics are sound enough and they're playing with it, which is kind of cool. And then these past two weeks, uh, they went like really above and beyond and introduced a uh, mid-season event called Superheroes. We're in season two at the moment, and this is wrapping up. Probably wrapping up this weekend, actually. But this this really showed how confident they're on the core mechanics, I would say. Um, and Because what they did, and only for a few weeks, that's the thing that blows my mind, is they did this whole hour thing, and it goes away like any day now, is they add a whole second layer of power-up mechanics. So at the start of every match, you're not just figuring out what ball's being assigned to that match. You as a player are randomly assigned a superpower. Like maybe it's a double jump or the ability to more strongly tackle people or a tackle that lets you instantly grab an opponent in ball form and throw them off the stage or throw them at an enemy for an instant KO. Um, and again, these are on top of all the existing ball variety, strategy, level designs, what have you. And, 
Angel, I think it's safe to say, like we've done the superhero mode together at least uh, twice, right? I think it's safe to say they really do add a lot to the gameplay, this whole other layer of power-ups, right? Yeah, those power-ups are really fun. Like some of them, like I almost kind of wish this becomes like a permanent mode or side mode. But, yeah, same. You know, if they're going to be building stuff out, I mean, I guess I give them a chance to just like try wackier and crazier powers, but I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, and like but... ob- obviously like the thing with this is, you know, I'm, I'm rallying off how games as services work, you know, they evolve with each season and add new modes or whatever. But like the quality of like the new stage, the quality of that superhero mode, the fact that even every time you die in a respawn, you get a different superhero power. And even little things like they actually yeah. show you the other person's power. So you see it under them when they're running around, teammate Which and is opponent. really important because yeah. there's power that lets you get KOs just by tackling someone, which, yeah, that's kind of why. Yeah, and but even in a fun way. It's really fun. It's- I love using it, but, you know, it sucks to get killed that way. But well, it's just, like, the attention to, like, I don't want to say detail, but just, like, you know, the fact that they thought of that and were like, okay, it's a two-week mode, but we need to, like, tweak the UI to actually show people the powers because there's a whole, like, meta of just these powers. Like, I think it just, you know, it speaks very well of Knockout City. I think, like, what I think is so fun about Knockout City is they keep just getting better. Like, you know, there's some, you know, Fortnite does like events and it's like, oh, you're in a, you're on a Grande video. That's cool or whatever. But like, I don't know. It, it, this just, this one just has so much like Nintendo has charm and it, it sidesteps so much of the awful free to play shenanigans. And yeah, they just, it keeps getting better. It feels like people are just sleeping on it. Like this, this, it isn't getting the attention it deserves, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, this almost feels like it's some, I'm trying to make some sort of call to arms to go play it if you haven't played it already, because it is just fun. It's just surprisingly good. The game's free up to, until level 25, or, uh, and I'm not one to sit here on Nintendo Podcast encouraging you to play a game on another platform. That's sacrilegious, but if you have a PC, it's free on Amazon Prime Gaming if you download it before the end of the month. Like, you really don't have a reason yeah. not to check it out. And it's honestly kind of cool to have it on two different platforms. Like, I have it on Switch and PC, and I've been kind of switching between both. And, I mean, yeah, once you sign in, like, everything transfers over transfers over really easily. I didn't really have to do anything, and it's like, oh, cool. All my cosmetics and everything is on the PC version now that I had on the Switch. And as long as I don't turn them both on at the same time, it's pretty great. I think possibly the biggest selling point of this game is it was able to convert you, Angel. So if it could convert you, it can convert anyone. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I feel like in some ways it's almost like I have to disclaim we're not being paid by Knockout City, but it's just it's just really fun. Like, I, I, I just want more people like it so they could do even more crazy stuff than the superhero stuff. Because, like, apparently developers are pretty happy with the player base right now, but, like... I've heard that outside Switch, some people are having trouble connecting online and finding people to play, and it's kind of waning. So it's just kind of like, please, give it a shot, folks. Give it a shot. Um, yeah, so that, that was the brief Knockout City Revisit, unless, Angel, you had any other thoughts about it? Um, no, that's pretty much it. Kevin, I feel like the two of us, Angel and I, have been talking a lot. What Have you been playing anything? What's going on with you? Uh, <laughs> nothing necessarily on Switch. Uh. I'm doing this thing where, oh god, I guess it's gonna be, I'm gonna be the sacrilegious one, but uh, not necessarily that I have that I've been playing Switch games on PC, which I mean, yeah, mainly that's what I do, but <laughs> I've started to do this thing where I'm going on Steam and just buying games like readying up for the Steam Deck, 
which is like crazy because I also have games that I already have in my library that I'm like, should I finally give that a chance? Like I've been watching a lot of Darkest Dungeon streams and I'm pretty sure Darkest Dungeon is available on Switch, right? Uh, uh, sounds right. Maybe? It was definitely announced for Switch a long time ago. I'll, I'll I don't see why that game wouldn't be. But yeah, so I was like watching a lot of Twitch streamers uh, play that. And so I was like, maybe I should give that a go. And then I stopped myself and I go, actually, you know what? No, that's going to be the perfect Steam Deck game. It's just... Yeah, I'm really... I, the, more I, the more I think about it, the more excited I get for that thing. Um, it's on Switch. Sorry. It is on Switch. Yeah, no, 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 no. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's. I just find it funny how that's... Well, not even funny. I just find it interesting that I, I'm looking forward to all these games that I already own that I would love to be able to play now on the Switch. Right. But because of, you know, the way that the industry works, of course, I'm never going to be able to do that. What, um, uh... To play my Steam games Steam- on Switch. When is your Steam Deck supposed to arrive? Like, what wave I, of pre-orders did you get in? I got in the fir- like the second half of the first wave. So this year? If that makes sense. Are you in that? Uh, so I believe I get the option to buy it at the very beginning of next year. That's not too long of a wait. That's no, yeah, it all. isn't. I mean, yeah. I would still definitely want to play something in bed right now. Um but yeah, I, just, I would gesture makes... to your Switch if I was saying next to you in real life. Well, <laughs> well, unfortunately, games that I yeah, yeah, I know, already I know. own, I'm not going to repurchase. You know, especially mm-hmm. at the prices mm-hmm. that are in the eShop. Like, don't get me wrong, you guys always talk about you know these little 99 cent games that devs, uh, you know, does put their games on sale to to sell their to games game a little, the bit, charts, yeah. little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's all fine and dandy, but no, I, I'm trying to play these games that I already own. Right. Um, yeah. But no, I, I haven't been playing a lot on Switch. Uh, it is kind of quiet before the storm right now, I feel like. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I mean, WarioWare just came out. I'm yep. probably going to give that a look uh, by next episode. Same, same. Uh, yeah, what, I, what uh, else is, I have a copy of the thing real? right under me downstairs right now. Yep. Ew, physical. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, disgusting. I know, I'm, I'm a horrible human being. But yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's like WarioWare's this week. Uh, if you're into Cruise and Blast, which I am, that's Tuesday, like I, like I said before. Uh, and then it's kind of just a steady drumbeat because we have Metroid and the Switch OLED and like Tetris Effect. Um, October 8th. Oh, Deathloop comes then, up next week. Oh my god. I'm sorry. The Switch is going to have to wait. <laughs> but again, it's the calm before a storm. That's partly why I feel like we start cram creation now versus a couple of weeks from now because things are ramping up. So if you if you have Death Note now, do it now before the big wave because now there's a lot coming out this fall: Mario Party, Pokemon, Advance Wars, and on the news side of things, uh, they announced one other game. Uh, the one piece of first party news we received from Nintendo these past two weeks: there's another game coming this year. It was a surprise announcement, uh, not just. Well, was say it, it already. Well, I was going to say, not just as the announcement out of Blue, but it's so the game. killing me. I know, I know. Uh, Wait, let me just look. I'll just look at the No, thing. I'm just going to tell you. Big oh. Brain Academy. It's back. Raise your hand if you thought... Well, I can't see you. Don't raise your hand. But if who would have thought Big Brain Academy would be the next franchise in town would re, uh, you know, revisit? But here we are. There's a new Big Brain Academy coming out. Stay um, With Advance Wars. 
The writing was on the wall. Like, oh, was it? As of, I think, two years ago, actually. Oh, oh, are, are you? Okay. All right. Are you Jason and go ahead yeah, and continue? Yeah, yeah, there was a developer interview and they said, man, one of these days, probably like in about two years, I am going to bring out Big Brain Academy on the Switch. And, you know, two years later, here we are. It wasn't It's so weird that they knew two years ago exactly when the business side would decide to release it based on the cadence of other releases. Hmm. Funny how right. that works. Right? But yeah, did either of you ever play Big Brain Academy back in the DS and Wii days? I, um, I did not, to be no, honest. No, I, I always thought of it as a, even though it was by Nintendo, um, yeah, since Big Brain, no, since Brain Age came out first and then that one mm-hmm. came out, I was, I was like, oh, I already have a brain game. I don't need this one. And I just ignored it. Yeah, no, I, I, Kevin, what about you? I, I'm in the same boat as Angel. The poor man's Brain Age? No. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. I, I don't know if it's a poor man's brain age, but no, I it, never played that. I was absolutely a brain age person, though. Yeah, same. I think brain age, like, you know, I was into it for a little while. So I don't know how long you guys stuck with it, but like, I, you know, I did the whole daily thing, did the brain age improving. I, I think the main draw then, and why all three of us probably gravitate toward brain age, is it was, it was like part of the whole, you know, at that moment in time, it was the newfangled Nintendo with like the touch generations lineup, the DS being this early touchscreen device, the fact that you held it like a book, like all of these different and fresh and unusual things in Nintendo all kind of combined and Nintendo made such a big deal out of brain age versus big brain academy. That almost felt like you'd be weird if you didn't try big uh, tried Brain Age, you know, game or not, even though it was more of a software suite. Like, it was in a moment where, like, you it, it, you kind of had to see what it was all about, you know? And, and Big Brain Academy kind of lived in the shadow of that. Like, the idea always seemed like it was sort of the more fun version of the concept, like the cool, I guess in this case, younger cousin. Yeah, aesthetically, it looks friendlier. Yeah. I already know it for, for its weird music in Smash Brothers. Yeah, and, like, it, it was similar but different. Like, it divided it's brain teasers into categories kind of like brain age and you can measure your brain's weight kind of like a brain age score but the whole thing was definitely like a little goofier like cartoony almost more kid friendly whatever you want to call it um but where it, i guess you know so i never played it either but i did i do remember it being kind of a thing and where it really grew into its own i think is brain age was i think brain age had a two-player mode but it was mostly a single-player experience and big brain academy they tried to angle as kind of the multiplayer equivalent so the ds1 had wireless play for i think like six or seven people and then the Wii version which I believe was called Wii Degree maybe uh, that had like a bunch of multiplayer like it was like it was like when WarioWare Degree de- Degree Degree Wii Degree Wii Degree Degree I don't know yeah well whatever it was called out of the podcast <laughs> no you're keeping it <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say is it, it kind of reminded me of remember when WarioWare came out on Game Boy Advance and it was a single player thing and then they did the GameCube WarioWare and it was literally the same WarioWare just multiplayer instead that's kind of why I feel like Big Brain always was to Brain Age but from what Nintendo's announced so far with the Switch edition which is called Big Brain Academy Brain vs. Brain it does seem like they're sort of doubling down on that like multiplayer oriented Wii Degree legacy um you know, they divided into five types of brain teasers again. There's identify, memorize, analyze, compute, and visual. And yes, I wrote those down because no, I'm not going to remember that, even though that would actually be good for my brain. Um, you know, and, and both offer online support. So you can play against ghost data friends' brains along with local multiplayer. It's like this thing is very like multiplayer oriented. Um, one thing that's actually kind of cool with the Switch one though is that it has custom difficulty levels. So since it's being billed as a more family-friendly, kid-friendly game, 
It offers a way for folks who are older and maybe have a little more mature brains. Uh, they can also have a challenge. Like it can kind of dynamically – like I, I, you know, I don't know how dynamic it's going to scale. But it might actually be kind of fun. Like if, if there's some weight to that difficulty thing, like it could be fun in a party rotation just to use kind of rapid fire – little brain teasers in between other games. I don't know. Like, are, do you guys think you're going to get it or is it totally like, nope, off your radar? Maybe the multiplayer part of it looks kind of interesting. And, I mean, I like brain teasers, so I don't really see why not. Especially since we still haven't gotten the brain age that I think has been out in yeah, Japan. Yeah, no, or we haven't. what's going on there, so... Yeah. Yeah, I, uh... Funny enough, my girlfriend seems weirdly into it. Like I just described it to her like a sentence and she's like, oh, we need to get that. I'm like, all right, we'll see if it's – I'm just – part of me is just like is it going to be really kiddie? Because like the game's aesthetic and angle is very like family mm, first. You do hate really kiddie games. No, no, no. I mean more like if the brain teasers are like identif- – like literally one of the screenshots is like identify which creature has four legs. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so like obviously the line – and I understand it's not about like can you identify. It's about how quickly you can do it. But still like if it's that level, I don't know. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by kitty. Not like obviously as a Nintendo fan, I'm not against like kid friendly aesthetics. I just be interested of the quality of the actual mm. challenge. But Kevin, what about you? Are you? You're not very fond of Nintendo. Uh huh. <laughs> Kevin, what about you? You're gonna. This is the closest you're gonna get to Brain Age again, I think. Uh, nope. If it's not Brain Age, <laughs> I don't want it. Fair enough. I I do. Uh, Andrew, you were trying to Jason this a minute ago with your little anecdote that about an interview that never happened. But I'm gonna I'm gonna show you how it's done. Because I do find it interesting, if you step back, that this, of all things, is the next legacy IP that Nintendo chose to revive. Um, like it was, you know, what, two, two, three episodes ago that we spent so much time talking about the Switch bump. And I was saying how, you know, if you look at Nintendo's financials and their release calendar, it seems like they're just seeing how far they can push this concept of older franchises getting boost in sales just from being on Switch. And, and you know, this year in particular, like the early to mid 2000s are getting a lot of attention from Nintendo, from WarioWare to Metroid to, you know, the handheld oriented Pokemon Diamond and Pearl remakes to Advance Wars, like the list goes on and on. But the fact that they specifically chose Big Brain Academy, especially, I mean, you already said, Angel, especially in light of their previously being a Brain Age 4 Switch that was out in Japan, it was out in Europe, it's the stronger IP of these two. Why do they hate us here? I don't know, but like they didn't support that. But Nintendo of America is all in on Big Brain Academy, so like not to evoke our episode title or anything, but I think that I can maybe make the case here for why Big Brain's the one that seems to matter to Nintendo. Probably because the 3DS one didn't sell well. I'm guessing. Well, the three. I mean, that's part of it, but franchise? that's part of it. But the Big Brain was never the bigger. Brain Age was always the bigger seller. Big Brain was never huge for them. Like, it was fine. So even if the 3DS one underperformed on a system that was, you know, more core-oriented, the Switch is a little more casual-friendly, and it has, you know, so what... And it has that multiplayer angle. And Brain Age, the Switch version, just like Big Brain, was kind of like, oh, look, you can do it with a friend or a family member. Like, they, they emphasize that with the Switch version. So theoretically, surface level would make sense to try it. And the fact that they didn't, but are instead doing Big Brain Academy, I, it, it's, you know, I think in a way it almost goes back to what we were saying about Brain Age at the start of the conversation. Like, how, you know, it was sort of the embodiment of that era of Nintendo, the casual outreach, the blue ocean, touch generations, all that. And if you compare that with the modern Switch era, 
you can actually draw a bit of a parallel between what they're doing with the brain games and what they did with the fitness games. Like, let's go back to the Wii and DS era for a sec. We had Wii Fit and Wii Fit Plus, right? Like, both were very intentionally the brain ages of fitness. Similar interfaces, less about traditional gaming and more about, like, hitting goals and lowering numbers, your brain score, you know, or your BMI. Or your, they're kind of interchangeable. All that stuff it was all very stark, utilitarian, um, no real gameplay in the regular sense of the word. It was more like an app that had a little Nintendo flair. And now can contrast Wii Fit with something like Ring Fit Adventure. It's a game as much as a fitness tool, right? Like, sure, there are exercises you could do on the side, but the core game, as we all know very well, because we all played it a bunch, is a straight-up JRPG with an exercise ring thingy as your input. Like, And, you know, it's seen huge success. It's the single... I love this stat. I think I said it before, but I just love this stat. It's the single best-selling JRPG in the United States of this generation. Ring Fit Adventure is. It's the single best-selling original IP in the Switch's overall top 10 worldwide. In fact, it's the only original IP in the Switch's top 10. Everything else is established franchises. 11 million copies of Ring Fit Adventure have been sold around the world. It's like the Touch Generation Foundation now allows them to kind of gamify their concepts a little further and still find success. Like, Ring Fit is gamified Wii Fit. And if you look at Big Brain Academy and what they're trying to do, it's kind of gamified Brain Age. Like, even... The way that they're like being, even the verbiage they're using in Big Brain Academy. Like in Wii Degree, they had a feature where through Wii Connect 24, if you remember that online system of theirs, your friends could swap and share mind spirits and you could play against their data. Here in Brain vs. Brain, they call it exactly what gamers know it as ghost data. Like they're not dancing around it, they're not making it this thing that people, oh, what is this foreign gaming concept of ghost data? It's just like, no, people get it. Like, between, you know, Nintendo's efforts in the Wii and DS era, between the iPhone and Android and mobile gaming, like, gaming is more of a thing, and games can be more gamey, and, and hence, Big Brain Academy. So, like, if I were in Nintendo's shoes, you know, Big Brain Academy does seem like it checks the boxes best for what they want to do. It revives the brain training concept. It's more gamery in the same way that Ring Fit, you know, demonstrated a path to success. It's still leveraging that mid-2000 nostalgia. And, you know, it sees if the Switch bump can once again work to work its magic. So it seems like a smart choice. And it, in light of, you know, Brainage kind of coming and going with nothing, it does seem like Nintendo has their ducks in a row with this, and it's a very intentional move. So we'll see how it does. Um, but that's my would theory. Not be surprised, would not be surprised if this game does poorly, and then that's their excuse to not bring that uh, Brainage game over. I wouldn't put it past the meter. I think they're positioning it to do well. It's coming out right going into the holidays when people are getting together. Actually, I think them doing it not before Thanksgiving is kind of a weird move, but it's coming out, you know, right at the start of December. It's only 30 bucks. I, the marketing's probably going to be, you know, angled at like kids more. Like it, it, I think, I think they're saying up to do the best it can do. The question is, and again, it's the litmus test of the switch bump. Like, you know, we were saying a couple episodes ago, or I was saying how like, it seems like instead of just doing, oh, yeah, we know these games will do well, they're kind of stretching the definition of what could do well and seeing how far they could take it. You know, like a straight remake with Advance Wars, uh, barely updating Pokemon Diamond and Pearl in terms of the mechanics and everything. Like, it, this seems kind of cut from that cloth, and I would not be surprised if it doesn't do well, but it's, it's, it, in Nintendo's mind, I feel like they're saying it up as kind of this new avenue and using the patterns they've seen from other Switch games to determine that it may be worth the risk. But, yeah, I could... At most, it can maybe be like a Labo type of thing where it sells, you know, million plus but doesn't like blow up and make a whole new lane for them or anything. But 
We will see. It's it's tricky because like how you sell kids on wanting to do brain teasers, right? <laughs> so that's probably why the franchise is so dormant up until now. But time will tell. Um, that's not to say Nintendo's moved on though from like '90s nostalgia. Um, you know, I was talking about how they're leaning in on the mid 2000s, but a bit of news that also applies to our episode's case title quite literally. Uh, Lego and Nintendo announced a special set that pays homage to Mario 64 for its 25th anniversary this year. And it, it's pretty it's pretty cool. You guys have seen this, right? The question mark block? Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, Actually, unfortunately. No, it does look really cool, but it's, but as I've it's, posted on Twitter and mentioned a couple times, like my biggest gripe with it is the fact that it is a question mark yeah, block. Yeah, I don't understand that. to represent Mario 64. Like, did they not realize that there aren't any in that game? Mm. I looked it up, Angel. No. There is. In Mario 64 3D on the DS. Uh, or not Mario 64 3D, whatever, DS. Why'd I call it 3D? In Mario 64 DS. Yeah, Mario 64 DS. Yeah, on the DS, there is a question mark block. Not sure how that well, pays homage a... to the original 25th anniversary, but... So, yeah. Yeah. So, there we go. Very interesting, yeah, very interesting homage, though. Yeah, it, and for those who haven't seen it, just real quick to describe it, it's what it amounts to is a giant question mark block that doubles as a case... Hence my tie-in with the case title. Anyway, those is a case that contains four miniaturizations of classic Mario 64 levels. So you've got Peach's Castle, Bob on Battlefield, Cool Cool Mountain, uh, the Lava One. Does that have a name? Lava Trouble? Something like that? Anyway, each has uh, little minifigs as well. So you have the level and they have like a little baby Mario, a little tiny Peach, a King Bob Bob, a Chain Chomp, even a little penguin you rescue on the mountain. That's there. And all of them actually unfold out of the block so you pull down the front and then three of the levels lift out on hinges to sort of hover above the block and if you look in between the three into the block is the lava level it's it's pretty cool in concept it's very creative but yeah it is weird like i don't know why they didn't use a cat i think you said this on twitter angel i don't know why they didn't use like the hat cap box block yeah the cap hat i feel like probably one of the most iconic things about mario 64 it would have been really cool to see you know, the wing cap cap there. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, even a oh. coin block or one of the exclamation exclamation mark one. Like, just the, the generic green ones. Like, I don't know. Maybe because it's just, like, them trying to make it as appealing to the broadest audience as possible and the question mark block is the iconic one. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, when I think of Mario, I definitely do think of that yeah. question mark block. So, you know, as a purely anniversary thing, it makes sense. But it's still I mean, a little, It yeah. almost feels like they have the potential to make this an ongoing series and it would have been awesome to have a bunch of different like blocks from each game that's kind of unique to those and then have them all unfold into their respective Mario games. I think, but, yeah, actually that would have been super so cool. I'm not sure. They, 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 Cause now what are they going to do? Like I'll make them all question mark blocks. And I guess really emphasize the question part of it where you're like, I don't even know which one's which until <laughs> I open it. Oh, You have to open right. it to find out. You just have a row of six of them and you're like, is this Isle Delfino in here or is it Gusky Gardens? We'll see. Like, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, I, I do think generally though, it's it, it's really creative in a way that sort of complements like the Mario Legos. Because like if you look at the Lego NES set, which is my favorite of the bunch, don't get me wrong. It You know, it's just a straight up homage to life from that era. You have the TV, the cartridge, the NES, the controller. It's just very much like, hey, here's a little piece of an 80s living room just on your shelf. And the Mario Legos are kind of like, you know, a real life Mario Maker in a way. And this one kind of feels like it's the spirit, the creative juice of like the Mario Legos. Like the idea of kind of reconfiguring Mario's world to make sense in Lego form. 
But here it's for an older crowd. Like it's made as a display piece, which sort of, but it's, you know, it has that approach of like, it's, it's, it's the spirit of Mario. It's not necessarily emulating something in real life. I guess the question mark block itself is, but there's nothing like Rayo again. Like when you open it, the levels aren't exact representations. It's kind of Lego-fied a bit more than say the NES was. But the thing about that is it's weirdly also for me personally, almost it's downfall. Like I like the idea of it. The giant question mark block is neat, but I feel like I'd want to have it open all the time to show the little mini worlds because that's kind of the cool part of it. Like that's the real spirit of Mario in there, or of Mario 64 at least. And I, I, I cannot for the life of me. Like I've looked at photos of people holding it. I've looked at like every official photo they put out. I cannot figure out where I would put this where it wouldn't look weird. Like technically the Lego NES set is bigger than this, uh, but there's something about it you know, the fact that's multiple pieces maybe or different shapes and sizes that come together that it just fits better on a shelf. And this, like, I don't know. Maybe because it's a big old square. Oh, Jason Brain hurt. I know it does. That's just why I need Big Brain Academy. But yeah, I don't know if it's like because it's a big old square or something, but it just doesn't seem as display friendly, even though conceptually it's actually a cool piece and maybe even cooler than the Lego NES conceptually. So like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly. I just I I want to say I'm going to buy it, but I'm not sure if I'm going to buy it. Like I was about the Lego NES the second it was announced. This one, I don't know. I have a weird hesitation. It's the same price. It's literally the same release date. It's just something about it. I don't know. I I almost need to see it in real life, or maybe just like give it a few hours. I mean, I've given it days. It's it came. It was announced three days ago, and I'm no a few more. A few um, more. If you go all click like in a week, I'll just be like, oh damn. No, like in like in a couple moments, probably before the end of the podcast. No, I I don't think so. That's the thing. Like I almost want like an augment, augmented reality overlay that I can like place this on a shelf and see how it look to scale or something. Just like I don't know. It's it's just weird because like for something as cool as a concept as this is, it just kind of pains me to say that like I want to be able to support it, but I don't know if I will support. Like I don't know it. I want Lego to get enough traction with these, I think, that they can do more than just Mario. Like, give us Samus's ship or Hyrule Castle or, you know, even if they did something as creative as a question mark block and did, like, a Lego-fied overworld map of Link to the Past. Or, like, maybe it unfolds out of a Triforce. I don't know. But, like, that'd be cool. And I don't know. Like, I'm not saying me not buying is going to stop that. But, like, I don't know. There's part of me that's almost like I need to buy it to make sure that they keep making stuff. But I don't know where I would put it. I, I don't know. Are you guys getting it? Is there anything from a Lego Nintendo collaboration you maybe want at this point that this isn't? Like a cap version, perhaps? Like something that I would like to see? Yeah. Or, or like, yeah, basically. I mean, I'm just hoping for the... Actually, I don't even want to say inevitable anymore because I do applaud how weird these things are getting or just, like, creative. Mm-hmm. Like, most people, when they thought, like, oh, Nintendo Lego, they're probably going to make a, a big Peach's Castle or something. But, you know... I felt like the TV and console came out of left field, and then the this block is also like kind of came out of nowhere. So, I mean, they're getting this intricate. I just kind of want to see what they would do. I don't know. With I would love to see them like build like make it a giant GameCube that's like you know like open. Oh my god, I would buy that in a heartbeat. I know it's also square and cube and. Oh man, if it was a GameCube and you open it and there's like worlds in the disc slot. Oh my god. Related, if it's but... full of little Pikmin, little pick little Lego Pikmin, I'm there in a heartbeat. But yeah, there's something like that would be cool. I mean I I always I'm always gonna like I'm always gonna want like a giant Bowser's castle, like like one of their big sets, but 
We'll see at this point what they make. I'm I'm still reeling from that GameCube idea that they should do a whole series. Oh, you know, like that fan art where it's like it's a Game Boy Advance laying flat or something, and then like like the little Minish Cap characters are like standing on top of there, like coming out of it. If they did like a Lego series of those, and each console had like a game or two, and you could swap in like the insides, like that would or they unfold like the block. That would be so cool. I would buy those because again, they they wouldn't just be a square. They'd each have kind of a unique shape, and they'd. And if they made them to scale, so like the GameCube was the size of a GameCube, oh man, Angel, you you just made me really want that to happen, and I don't think it will. But <laughs> that'd be so cool. Yeah, a whole series of like Lego consoles would be neat, but you know, probably not gonna. Happen. Yeah, no, probably not. Kevin, do you even do much with Legos in general? Do you build ever? No. Interesting. Never. I feel like when I was a kid, not have the space for it. Mm, that's fair. He's straight edge. He's straight edge. <laughs> he doesn't dabble in Legos. Yeah, I feel like it's funny because I wasn't really into Legos as a kid as much. Uh, my mom used to buy them, them for me all the time. I just never really played with them a ton. But then, like, these, like, displayable ones. I think it kind of started when you bought me uh, the Lego Wally model from a while ago, Angel. But, like, the displayable ones is when yeah. it started to, like, turn the corner, which is probably why I'm so fixated on how do I display the question mark block because it's not even about the building it for me. It's about where to go once it's built. So... I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what it will necessarily take to reach the point where we can get anything like a Bowser's Castle castle or like those consoles. But I feel like if it were to happen, we are in the era of brand collaborations. Not just Nintendo, but generally. Like, you know, there's a lot of doors opening up. Like, it could lead to cool stuff like Lego sets. It can lead to silly stuff like, you know, we've talked about Monkey Balls, character crossovers, which, you know, now apparently Hello Kitty and that yellow one-eyed monster guy from Monster Rancher of all things are... uh going to be inside the monkey balls as well so like you know those are super random but it also includes some very absurd stuff like uh pokemon oreos these are a very real thing do you guys know about pokemon oreos let me tell you about pokemon oreos uh no that's the first i hear about them yeah so i um it's not that they just printed some pokemon faces in the groove of an oreo cookie which would be one wait but they did do that they did do that but they didn't stop there they're actually trying to mimic the idea of catching them all. There are 16 different cookie designs. This is real, I swear. Oh, one better not be Bidoof. I, oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, God, there's Bidoof. But anyway, here's the catch, and I hope there's not Bidoof because then I'm going to be buying so many Oreo packs. Some of the Oreo designs will be easier to find than others, just like Pokemon are. So, like, Pikachu will be common. Mew will be rare. And Oreo describes the whole thing as, and let me make sure I got the word correct here. Um, they describe it as, quote, the first ever cookie rarity scheme. Th- this is the thing. This is the thing. If you don't believe me, uh, we'll link to the story in this episode's blog post so you can see for yourself, everyone listening. This is the thing. They are doing collectible, edible Oreos with rarities. So, I guess you take a picture... I don't really know what you're supposed to do with it, but yeah, like it, it, it's it's interesting in that it does kind of get the spirit of Pokemon, but it's also absurd. But yeah, like my point is, one, I'm absolutely going to buy way too many Oreos if Bidoof is a real thing. Uh, but no, my actual point is if there's ever a time for a pipe dream of a Nintendo Lego set or really anything you want in terms of Nintendo merch or cool collaborations, like now is the time for it to happen. Like we're living in an era... Where, like, even if it wasn't, you know, we're right now we're in a period where if it wasn't for COVID, Mario was going to be a central theme of the Tokyo Olympics opening ceremony. Like, apparently part of the ceremony was going to be Mario warp piping into Tokyo, 
kind of picking up where the closing in Rio left off. Pass He would then pass along some sort of Olympic symbol to a bunch of other big-name Japanese characters like Pac-Man and Goku. Then Mario would take it back, deliver it to the stadium, and that would only be top layer in the show by Lady Gaga wearing a Mario outfit and Nintendo music being played. Oh, and then a Smash reveal. And then it would all end nice. in a Smash reveal. Yeah, no, I don't know about that part. But, like, one, I can't even begin to describe how much I would have nerded out if that actually happened, if COVID didn't get in the way. But, again, what I'm saying and why I'm saying this this little anecdote is, like, we're in the golden age of collaborations and wild, weird brand mashups and, you know, if there's anything you ever, ever wanted, like the fact that Mario, the fact they're going to dress Lady Gaga as Mario at the Olympics. Like, this is, this is the moment. This is the time. Uh, so, yeah, maybe the console thing can happen. Maybe Bowser's Castle can happen. Fingers crossed. In the meantime, you got Pokemon Oreos, so eat those, I guess. But um, speaking of collaborations, though, another company that is very big on them is Marvel. And last round, Nintendo, we talked... Wait, who do they collaborate with? Uh, they collaborate with themselves? everyone. They have games with different companies. They have... Yeah, who don't they collaborate with? Exactly. Oh, I, I was thinking about just, like, Marvel characters, not so much... The I mean, company. they're everywhere. Fortnite, um, each other. <laughs> but but last round, Nintendo, specifically, we talked about their new collaboration... Insomniac, they just announced, you know, Wolverine and multiple Spider-Man games. But anyway, last round Nintendo, we talked about uh, their new collaboration with 2K and the devs at Fire Access, you know, um, the folks behind Civilization and XCOM, and it is a tactical RPG called Marvel's Midnight Suns, except we didn't actually know anything about the gameplay. All we knew is it's from the guys at XCOM and Civilization, and it wasn't going to be anything like XCOM and Civilization. So that's now changed. Uh, we do know gameplay details. Kevin... What do you know about yep, yep. it? Yeah, how are they? Is is it something you're interested in as an Xbox yeah. fan? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Fraxis showed off a little bit more of Midnight Suns. Uh, you know, as we stated last episode, they said that it plays nothing like XCOM. It turns out it actually does. Uh, it plays a little like XCOM. It's still a strategy game where you're, like, on the field doing missions uh, fighting enemies and, and whatnot. But the best way that I can describe it is it looks a little bit how Mario and Rabbits 2 plays, uh, where you're like free moving your team on a field instead of on a grid, the way that, uh, Mario and Rabbits 1 did. Mm -hmm. Where the, uh, big change in gameplay happens is where it looks like your actions are dictated by a hand of cards. And, I'm not sure if you continuously draw cards after using them, but these cards have, uh, like, your character's abilities on them. Uh, so according to the devs, this was made to add a little randomness to the combat, and then, you know, there's there's different types of cards. There's, like, attack cards, item cards, uh, you know, little power-up cards, that, that sort of thing. And, uh, like, similar to Exxon, there will be destructible environments and... Uh, objects in the environment that you can interact with to, you know, help you gain ground or uh, in one gameplay, one uh, gameplay video, they showed Wolverine picking up a cinder block and throwing it at an enemy, um, that kind of stuff. Outside of the missions, it looks like you'll be hanging out in this hub area where you'll be able to interact with like the various Marvel heroes you've recruited and, like, I'm sure similar to something like Persona, your interactions will probably have effects on how your team will do in the missions. Or not necessarily how they'll do in the missions, but I'm sure if, like, 
you become chummy chummy with Wolverine, uh, you'll probably get like cooler abilities or, uh, or I guess in this case cards, you'll get better cards and, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, th- there has been some controversy regarding the card system because people thought, oh, this is a 2K game. That means that cards will probably be locked behind microtransactions. Doesn't turn out that this is the case according to uh, Firaxis. Well, I mean, knock on wood. Uh, but right now they're saying that any microtransaction in the game will just be like purely cosmetic. And there won't be any loot boxes when it comes to like the cards. Uh, I mean, just on an overall gameplay perspective, it does look fun. Uh, I do like this idea of the card system adding a little bit of randomness to it because as much as I love the XCOM games, they are fairly structured depending on your class character. Uh, you have between one and three things that you can do with each character. Here, it looks like you're going to be able to do a lot more with uh, with your Marvel heroes. Um, I don't know, it lo- looks, looks very fun, looks uh, very dynamic as, like I stated, XCOM, you're on a grid. So there's only so much that you can do on a grid. Uh, as opposed to, like, this free, free-range environment the way that they have in Midnight Suns. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Might be a, uh, might be a Switch, uh, Switch, I was gonna say Switch deck, uh, Steam deck game as opposed to a Switch game, but. Yeah, I was about to ask you that. That's a yeah, whole different conversation. It, cause it, it is on every platform possible, so. And it comes out yeah, right around the time you'd have your Steam deck. few new games that it is. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. It, it's such a, not indictment of the industry. I don't know what the word for is, but it's such a sign of the times that, like, they announce cards. And before they even say anything else, people lose their minds going, wow, we have to pay for the cards. There's got to be loot boxes. They'll be randomized. And, like, the fact that they have to, like, the default assumption is now, like, they're going to squeeze in nickel and dime fans versus, like, just it's a battle system is so ridiculous. Like, we should not have gotten to that point. But it's great that they're not actually, yeah. like, doing that. Like, that's, like, props to them. That That's cool. Well, like I said, fingers crossed anything could happen. Anything could change, even post-release. True, true. Especially depending I, on how the game That never sells. happened to XCOM. It never happened to XCOM or, uh, or Civ 5 or 6, but... I do wonder know. how much Marvel's going to, like, hold them back. Because I think Marvel has a certain, like... I mean, they have games on mobile where they do that sort of stuff. There's one that just came out that Apple's making a huge deal of called, like, Future something. It's, like, this big Marvel release. But, like... And I'm sure it has microtransactions. But... I do wonder on some level, like, if Marvel's going to be able to, like, no, 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 like, kids like our franchise, and, like, we, you know, we, we, the contract is for a single, $60 game, we're not going to let you start, like, breaking the mechanics, like, it'll be interesting to see, like, if, is, is, is Marvel holding 2K back, is Fire Access the ones that are kind of keeping it in line with their other releases, like, I, it, the dynamics are probably, behind the scenes are probably very interesting, like, who, who's actually preventing the loot boxes at the end of the day, but. We'll see if it sticks. We will see. Yep. But yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, that's one to probably keep an eye on. I haven't watched much of the gameplay, but, you know, the the concept, like we talked about last episode, is pretty intriguing. Is someone coming off of, you know, Ultimate Alliance 3 and liking all the Marvel MCU stuff. But, um, yeah, for now, I think that's the news. Um, it Again, it's kind of calm before the storm. Like, there's, you know, possibly in the next couple of weeks, until traditionally does a September Direct. Hard to say what they're going to do on this time because, like, we know their entire lineup for the rest of the year and we know it in great detail. I mean, Metroid again had a long trailer just come out on a, uh, you know, yesterday on Friday 
um, as it's recording. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see if there is one, but there are rumblings of things like possibly a Switch price drop happening, um, maybe as soon as the day after this episode goes up. We'll see if that happens, but yeah, there's like a lot of things, but it does seem like right now we're kind of in the lull a little, which is, which is nice because before we wrap the episode, it gives us a chance to dip back into our favorite, uh, kind of do it when we feel like it segment of 2021, which is the anniversary series. Uh, we've talked, we actually covered a lot of anniversaries already today. We have Mario 64th, 25th, you know, uh, the Mar- the Pokemon Oreos are happening because of Pokemon's 30th. But one that's being celebrated right now, here in mid-November, uh, mid-September, is Sonic the Hedgehog's 30th anniversary with the release of Sonic Colors Ultimate just the other day. Have either of you seen or been paying any attention to what's going on with that game? Uh, Sort of. I mean, I know there's some discourse around the... I guess the polish of the console version. Yeah, the Switch version in particular, or the lack of polish, to be more specific. Um, and obviously, you know, things happen. But yeah, the game is. Yeah, because my brother Robert has been playing it on PC. And it's been okay, right? So far, he's yeah. lagging. Like, yeah, it's been yeah. Good. So I guess the Switch version has just been ridiculously glitchy, and not in the sense of like, oh, Sonic in the 2D segments can move in 3D or like, oh, the this wisp power just instantly killed me, Oof. which, by the way, both of those are happening. But no, what I mean is the game's graphics are... Oof. There's some sort of technicolor fluorescent seizure-inducing mess. Like, we'll, we'll link to an article of videos in the episode's blog post, you know, so if you go around town.com, you can watch it for yourself, but... Or just go on Twitter and search it. But basically, as people are running along, the game just devolves into, like, crazy flashing colors and shapes and pixels and, like, all around them. Like, it's kind of wild. And so far, the only word from the developers is that they're listening and assessing, which – did they not know this was a thing before? Like, what, what exactly happened there? So it, it, it's very strange. You know, obviously, they'll patch it eventually, but – it kind of, as we go into talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, it kind of feels almost like a perfect, albeit very extreme, metaphor for the franchise, like at least in my mind. Because, I mean, obviously the games aren't glitching out to the point of epilepsy warnings on a regular basis. But what we have here is sort of like a heightened version of the Sonic cycle, right? Like people get excited because there's a new Sonic that promises to do things right. In this case, it's a part of a well-received Sonic Colors. And yet by the time it launches, the hype gets deflated for some reason. It's just... A heightened Sonic cycle. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe it's a fair assessment. I mean, where do you guys stand just on Sonic in general? Like, do you do you buy into the Sonic cycle? Absolutely, the Sonic cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Every single time, every single time, without fail. <laughs> uh, the last game that did that this didn't happen to was Sonic Mania, and right. before that was Sonic Generations. Yeah, I think I think that and fair uh, assessment. I think there was only a few games in between those. Hmm. Well, wasn't Sonic Colors one of them? come between Generations? Sonic Colors was before Generations, I Wait, believe. was it? I thought it was after. Oh, wait, no, you're right. You might be right, because Lost no. World was the, the later one. I always mix up which one came out when, because Lost World so mirrors Mario Galaxy in ways that I think it came first, even though Colors came out first. Yeah. Um, but, well, yeah, I mean, with the Wii U game. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Which makes, which means it definitely came yeah, after Generations. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it is there. Like, I don't want our Shout out to the 3ds version, by the way. The great yeah, game. actually, to that point, the 30th version of Generations. To that point, I'd say, Angel, oh. you're probably oh. the most. Or colors on the DS is also great. Yeah, well, that's because it's stuck to 2D, right? Yeah, because I feel like 
Yeah. Of us, I would I would guess that Angel probably is the most patient with the franchise just because of the fandom that mostly Elvis has. Um. Yeah, like I mean, where, when you think of Sonic, and I hate for like an anniversary series to focus on this side of Sonic, but when you think of Sonic, like. Are, is it the Sonic cycle or are there actually some game highlights that you jump to immediately? Like, do you have a favorite? I don't know. I mean, I, I, the Sonic cycle for me doesn't exist. I mean, when I think of Sonic, honestly, I just think of purity positive. Mm, interesting, yeah. Um, I I mean, I didn't play Sonic 06. I want to play it, <laughs> but I haven't gotten around to it. We do own it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just like Sonic games. Uh, I mean, the good and the quote-unquote bad. Like, I mean, I have fond memories of playing Sonic R a ton. Right. And at the time when we were growing up, we didn't realize that the slippery controls were bad. We thought it was just supposed to be challenging to control and just, like, got good at it. Like, we just, like, practiced it until we figured it out. And then later learned that, like, oh, yeah, these controls feel like you're running on soap bars. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, between that, the adventures... Which I played in reverse order because you know I didn't have I a Dreamcast. I would grew up with just a Nintendo ton of stuff. Nintendo fans played them. So you know we got like that. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah exactly because the Sonic Adventure two came up first, and then I was like Sonic Adventure DX. What the heck is this? And, and I was like, oh, it looks kind of white, like jankier, just like presentation wise, especially because you know the models improved to the through the sequel. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting experience. So you're more but, of a Sonic three D or two D guy yeah. overall. Both of you. I'm probably more of a 3D. I honestly typically have more fun with the boost mechanic. Nothing that I like that just like 2D any less. Because, I, I mean, I also love the Sonic Rush games. I mean, I remember being mm-hmm. both, especially the DS one. But a lot of the boost gameplay is pretty similar to Sonic, um, Sonic Rush. I mean, they play practically the same. Sonic Rush is about a 2D Sonic game with a boost mechanic. So, right. yeah, there's kind of that. Honestly, without the boost mechanic, I'm not as big. That, that's probably why it drops for me. Like, I just liked the way Sonic Rush felt and played. More so than the Sonic Advance games, which I also thought were fun. But most of the time, yeah, I just love that sense of speed you get from, like, games like Sonic Colors, Sonic Lost World, Sonic, you know, Unleashed. Mm-hmm. And Generations, of course. Right, but. right. Ken, what about you? Where do you tend to gravitate mm-hmm. more with Sonic? I'm guessing 2D based on Generations uh, and Mania being your higher ranked. Uh, maybe. Uh, like Angel, I, I love the Sonic Advance games. I believe I played 1 and 3. Not sure why I missed 2. Um, but then Sonic Adventure 2 is, I think, a great game in my mind. It, yeah. And way better than Sonic 1. Sonic Adventure mm-hmm. 1 you apologist, that's a bad game, and you are bad people for liking <laughs> Sonic Adventure 1. Um, but you have to admit, Kevin, when they first, when the Dreamcast was first coming out, and they showed that footage of Sonic running down that boardwalk, and they showed that footage, and, the and they duped so many people. Him. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and that's what that's why everybody thinks that game's good, because of that whale moment. Yeah, it's, it is such Sonic a Adventure moment. 1's a bad game. Such a moment, though. Really? When I was thinking about Sonic Adventure, the one didn't even come up in my head. If anything, I was thinking about Playing as Big the Cat. <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking. Did you or think not. about that weird flashback where, like, you're in Nasdaq Temple? Oh, and Tails is following you? Oh, Sonic Adventure 1 so bad. I, I, I still I still can't I mean, tell. Andrew, are you of course everybody has serious their taste. or joking about Big the Cat being what comes to mind? I hope you're joking, but I feel like you might be serious. 
Okay. Oh, okay. Big the Cat. What a That was when character. Big the Cat was first introduced, yeah. right? Yeah. Sonic Adventure 1? Yeah. Uh, so another fishing and looking for frog. <laughs> another mistake that Sonic Adventure 1 committed. I feel bad another for Big the Cat. Humanity. You know, no, like um, someone designed him and like he had a certain personality and he was looking for froggies and then he just got like, everyone just hated him. Like he himself doesn't deserve that. It's his gameplay element. Would you say he's the Jar Jar? He's kind of Jar Jar, but Jar Jar does deserve, actually Jar Jar doesn't even deserve the hate. It's not the character's fault that they're designed how they are. It's not like they're sentient. I don't know why I'm acting like they have feelings, but, you know. Mm, well, you are either really way. a compassionate person. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, they both have their their positive qualities, their negative qualities. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing a bunch of Sonic Heroes back in the on the mm-hmm. PS2. I was actually talking to your brother about this, uh, Angel. That I, I remember the day that I bought Sonic Heroes. It was at the Target in the town that we live in. Um, I remember going to the video game section and there's Sonic Heroes behind, you know, the, the display case on GameCube. I knew there were, I, I think there was like four copies. And so I run over to my dad, 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 can you buy me this game? He said, all right, let's go. We go. And all the GameCube copies are gone in that, like, 10 minutes that I went to go wow. find them in the Target. Uh, yeah, and so they only had PS2 copies left. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll play, uh, yeah, well, Sonic Heroes, whatever. I didn't know that the PS2 version ran worse than the GameCube version uh, until a couple weeks later where I was at my cousin's house and they were playing Sonic Heroes on the GameCube. And it was running, like, at 60 frames... The characters looked all shiny, and, like, you should watch the comparison videos on the PS2 version and the GameCube version. I actually haven't seen it, but I remember the PS2 version just looking, like, complete ass compared to the GameCube version. The The PS2 version was <laughs> so terrible looking, and even back then, I remember playing it on the PS2 and being like, Sonic Adventure 2 looks way better than this. Well, you know what's funny um, about the PS2? And uh, obviously in the case of Heroes is because um, I think Battle did so well on GameCube that they made the GameCube the lead platform for it and ported it away from it. But PS2 is actually the weakest of those three consoles in that generation by like a decent margin. Like GameCube was very – Xbox was the strongest. GameCube was closer to Xbox and PS2 is like a couple notches below that. And most games because they were led on PS2 and then ported to the others, you didn't know. But something like this, if it was – you know, if development was led on GameCube – yeah, it was surprisingly apparent. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy to see. Um, obviously, now with technology and stuff like that, we will know which version is the best. Yeah. But or now I'm actively looking for which version is going to be the best. Usually, it's going to be PC if you're comparing PC versus consoles, and then it's going to be on consoles. At this point, it'll be like what it'll be like Series X. It has the better multi-platform. Mm-hmm. But uh, back then, I didn't know any of that, and I probably. You know what? I don't know if I would have waited for more GameCube copies, but uh, I mean, I should have. That's just crazy that it sold out in 10 minutes. Like, GameCube's so... Oh, yeah. GameCube's so weird in that, like, it, it was not a big seller or a big performer, but there, I feel like everyone has a story of how, like, the GameCube did well. Like, I remember when it launched, I was out of town during the launch weekend, and I was visiting family in New York, and I came back, and it was what? like, yeah, whatever. I wasn't in control of it. But I, I came back, and... You know, this one was living in Montana, so we had like maybe six stores that would sell a GameCube. And to be fair, this was a city with like 60,000 people, but like six stores. 
And I called all of them. And this was like three days after launch, four days after launch. And one store had one GameCube left and I was able to snag it. And I was so proud of myself. But I was just like, wow, the GameCube's really big. Like it's sold out everywhere. And then, you know, you guys are like, wow, the Sonic Heroes sold out like in five, ten minutes on GameCube. That's crazy. And yet, like, if you look at actual numbers, none of that makes sense. GameCube didn't do that great. Like, it's just so weird. <laughs> like, And I know, uh, like, I, like, one of my friends in high school has a similar story with, like, a GameCube game that he couldn't find, even though, you know, it seemed so popular. And yet, the GameCube didn't do that great. It's such a weird duality that system lived. Wasn't that Nintendo's track record though? Their consoles were selling worse as they went along, and then the yeah, Wii no, totally. was sort of like lightning in the bottle up until the Switch. Correct. Obviously. Yeah, it uh yeah, but, it was they were on a downward trend from the NES down, <laughs> all the way down. And GameCube was the worst of the yeah. bunch. They revitalized with the Wii, then the Wii U was the real worst of the bunch, and then the Switch just is now outpacing the Wii even. So but yeah, it's just it's just, surpri- it's just so it's weird because like like I feel like even N sixty four like obviously PlayStation was the big one, but like N sixty four was like the one where it's like oh you have an N sixty four type of thing. Like I don't know, it was it felt like they were bigger maybe because we were kids, so everything just felt like the scale of the ser- like coolness or the seriousness of something being successful. But yeah, it's, it's it's weird to look back on now knowing the actual numbers. Um, how do we get on this? Uh, you're talking about oh, Sonic, Sonic. which reminds me, I was gonna ask you. So which trio of heroes did you play as? Were you Charmy the Bee? I, I mean, you Wait, play as all of them. No, but oh, that's yeah. true. You alternate. Well, what was – yeah. Man, I just wanted to know if you are trying to be, but I guess you were, but out of necessity or of requirement. Yeah. Every level – Forgot about that. You to yeah. I, I, you know, I do think if you um, – It's okay, Jason. Thanks. I appreciate that. I was going to say I do think it's interesting if you look at the legacy of these 3D Sonic games, like more so than maybe – any other mascot-driven platformers. Like, they really feel like time capsules of their era. And I mean that both good and bad. Like, honestly, I, too, had a blast with Sonic Adventure 2 Battle when I came out on GameCube, one of my favorites in the franchise. But I guarantee you, if we go back to the game today, you know, stuff like Knuckles' relatively basic exploration level is set to raps about Knuckles. Like, that won't age particularly well. You know, Tails' mech-shooting levels kind of bare bones like sonics may hold up a bit better but that's probably because they're the ones that didn't hop on gameplay trends at the time but like the thing is you like this pattern you see it again and again with sonic is interesting like oh you know the games need to be edgy and have guns okay well then shadow the hedgehog exists or or oh games need big compelling narratives with serious themes okay sonic 06 with sonic in the real world kissing humans or you know mario did a thing with self-contained round planets all right let's do sonic lost world like even spin-off games like Sonic Riders are kind of like someone saw Kirby Air Ride, someone saw Futuristic Racers like Extreme G which was huge at the time, Ref Zero and then they were like, wait, also Extreme Sports are big, like look at EA Sports big and they like merged them together and made this bizarre like airboarding game called Sonic Riders which was fun in its own right, I remember playing with friends but it's just like they're just such like of their era all these games and they aren't necessarily you know, if they aren't following trends of the industry you can almost easily map the lineage with the individual games themselves. Like Sonic Heroes is basically, you know, people liked all the characters in Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. What if we gave them triple the number? And like Sonic Forces is kind of like, oh, well, people like modern and classic Sonic side by side. Generations was big for us. Like, what if we now let them put their own hedgehog as like the third hedgehog? And, you know, on some level, to be fair to Sonic, this is how every franchise evolves, right? Like when we talked about Donkey Kong's 40th, um, 
you know, you can draw a very similar line from Donkey Kong Country 1 to 2 to 3 to 64. You know, with Metroid, obviously, you can trace how features of Super Metroid fed into Fusion, which will presumably lead to Dread. But what I find interesting is, like, the contrast between 3D and 2D Sonic. Because 2D Sonic kind of is on that more traditional linear path. Like, they stay very much in their lane. Like, one of the best-received Sonic games in recent memory in terms of reviews was Sonic Mania, which absolutely leans on the legacy of the franchise and doesn't really weave in very much drastically different stuff. And even, like, Sonic Rush, like, you know, we're talking about, like, the two big things about where the levels are vertical because there's two screens and, like, the boost mechanics. And you can go faster now. That's about it. Otherwise, you know, it's like Sonic Advance, just a little souped up, which... It's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But, like, the 3D Sonics, you, like, it seems like there's all the – you can see all these threads of each one's, like, growth and evolution, both, you know, from within the franchise and these trends outside the franchise. And then they kind of just, like, fray into a bunch of different directions and abruptly end. And that isn't to say it's right or wrong. It's just, like, the sheer variety of ideas that Sonic has gone through in many ways, in my mind, is almost the most enduring thing about its legacy, if that makes sense. Like, this isn't a franchise that stands still, nor is it one that tries to do something truly different with every entry, like arguably the 3D Marios do. Instead, it's sort of this grab bag of, like, we'll go this one route, then we'll reroute, then maybe we'll go third route. Okay, maybe we'll go back to the second route. Okay, let's do this other route. And it 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 it's happening again next year with Sonic Rangers, which, you know, even with what we little we know about the game... It seems like it's kind of staying true to the formula of like hopping on current game trends. In this instance, it's supposedly open world like Breath of the Wild. And it's using that to sort of spin the franchise into like another new direction. And it, again, it's not a knock against Sonic. Uh, spin the franchise. Oh, yeah, that was nice. You know what's funny is I was going to do a, a, a pun about Chaos Emeralds, but I guess the spin one's good. What I was going to say is like this isn't a knock against Sonic. It's just like I feel like for a game that focuses on Chaos Emeralds, like its legacy is fittingly chaotic. If you like try and draw a map like you can see influences from all these different things you can see it go all these different ways mm-hmm. and it's just it, it doesn't have like a it has a bit of a through line like the boost mechanic but i don't know it feels way more like scattershot which is interesting that a franchise of this scale can do that and continue to somehow find success within that so yeah i think i prefer 2d songs overall but it is contrary to you guys but it is interesting you know just to see how the 3ds have kind of panned out if that makes sense and I don't know if you guys necessarily agree with that, but that's just something I've kind of noticed over the years. But yeah, I guess Sonic Cycle yeah, is real. Sonic Cycle is real. Um, and yeah, and again, that kind of fits this exact point I'm making. Is like you don't need this cycle of like, well, should we be hyped? Okay, we're gonna get hyped. Oh, they're doing this weird thing. I don't want to be hyped if the games were like consistent. But because they're all over thematically and mechanic wise, it makes that happen. Um, but yeah, I guess unless you guys have anything else, I might do it for this episode. Um, were there any other topics you guys want to bring up at all? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, I mean, there hasn't been a ton happening in yeah, the, calm before the storm on the new side. I mean, just kind of waiting for Pokemon to come out. So I'm definitely looking forward to check that out. I mean, only kind of random thing that's just kind of mm. like really. Um, so do you know what mm-hmm. nano blocks are? They're the Lego that isn't Lego that so, Pokemon's working with. <laughs> yeah, they're like you know super tiny little pieces. They're Use minis just to create a bunch of tiny little miniatures that are really cool. Like I know they have a cockatiel, like Elvis has a, a beagle, one that he already built, and they've made a couple Pokemon ones, and as well as like Crash Bandicoot and even a bunch of Sonic characters as well. Like they have a bunch, but they're releasing another line of Pokemon ones, and it sounds like instead of making them more intricate, they're making them a little simpler and 
putting them in sets. And there's an electric one that has a Rotom in it, and I love Rotom. Well, Rotom, depends how you hear it pronounced. And normally, like, these are, these can get kind of pricey, but, like, since these are smaller, I thought, like, all right, maybe they're going to be, like, 15, 16 bucks. And then I see, like, oh, they're 35 bucks. But on top of that, they're a blind box now. Oof. So if I want to get the Rotom, I may not... Essentially, I have to spend 35 bucks for the chance to get a Rotom. I feel like if you're going to do a blind That's box... That's like 7 bucks. Don't make it cost over yeah. 30 bucks. Yeah, like at most 10. Like 10, 11 is like, I feel like my limit for a blind boxing. But anything more than that, it's like, no, just just give me the one I want. Like in this um set, I mean, if I don't get the Rotom, I could potentially get a Pikachu, which is okay. A Magnemite and a Alolan Raichu. And then the two that I can, if you're like the, the not as exciting ones that like, oh man, I got this one is a, I forgot the name of this. It's a lamb, a Mareep, a Mareep and charge a bug. It literally looks like a car battery, <laughs> yeah. like a little bus bug. It's just super simple, but Rotom looks like the coolest one. And let me, it, let me I don't know, $35 blind bags. Let me, let me ask you this. Is Bidoof? In one of these sets, and do I have to start spending endless amounts of money to get a nano block Bidoof? They've only announced a electric oh, thank fire God. set, okay. so so far. Okay, because I, I would have done it. I mean, I'm already assuming Bidoof's an Oreo. I'm gonna be eating so many Oreos. So like, if if I had to start spending thirty five bucks on nano blocks just for Bidoof, whew, crisis averted. But someone is selling series three, which has like you know. Pidgey, uh, Notre Ball, Bellsprout, Blastoids, and a few others. For 74 bucks on eBay, you could just Does it have box. to do? And, uh, okay, so again, whew, Dodger Ball. So All right. Not quite yet. If they, if they make Bidoof, I have no choice. It's not it's not a want or a need. It's a requirement. All right, luckily, Rotom isn't quite there, but yeah, I'd be right there with you if they had a chat. I am not even kidding. I am very afraid that Bidoof is one of the Oreos. I really hope he isn't because I will. I mean, do you remember? I think I chronicled it here on the podcast. My legacy of trying to get um, just one of the sets of Pokemon cards from the McDonald's Happy Meals. And I ended up going to McDonald's like four times. It's like the Burger King thing or even the Burger King thing where wow. I kept trying to get the Nintendo toy and it, 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 they kept not having them. And I had to go to Burger King like four times. Like I'll eat junk to get what I want. And if, if it's a million Oreos for a Bidoof, it's going to suck, but I'll do it. I'll do it. I suck. I'm torturing myself, and I am. But yeah, it's the in the name of Bidoof. Well, let let me know, Angel, when Bidoof yeah. becomes a thing. Otherwise, Godspeed with spending thirty five dollars ad nauseum to get Rotom. Yeah, well, we'll see. If I go to like a like a Frankenstein or something, and I see them lose, hopefully people price them not ridiculously. But we'll see. I guess with that. That's the show. What you do, what you do is you buy them, right? You buy them at thirty-five a pop, and then you sell them for forty when you know the character. That way, people mm. know what they're getting into instead mm. of getting it blind. I just have to hope I don't get those two because I feel like those ones sell. But hopefully, just got to play the game. No, I, said, I hope I don't get like Charger Bug or Mareep because I feel like those would be hard to sell. I would have to actually, That's like, unfair to Mareep. She's a classic, or he is a classic, gold and silver era. Like, deserves more love. Gold and silver era? Yeah. 
Rape? Yeah, yeah go on silver. silver. Did we just school you on Pokemon? Oh, man, angels. I'm glad we didn't wrap this episode yet. Oh, my God. We just told Angel something about Pokemon? This is a, this is a moment in my life that I will cherish. No, that's not something I'm necessarily... I don't think I've ever corrected you on Pokemon. But I don't think I've ever corrected you on Pokemon. I've known you for like over a decade. Sure you have. Pretty sure I haven't. There's no way you haven't. The only thing the only thing I know like well about Pokemon is just like their stats and moves, where they are from is... I just mean high level. I don't think I've ever corrected you about Pokemon. Regardless of like the fact that, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't know this. The, this is I don't le- think it's ever happened. This is something you would know. I know. I'm not, I'm not saying you out. should know. Definitely. I'm just saying it's never happened where I've had the opportunity. So this is very exciting. Yeah. Oh. Very exciting. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to ride this high right out of the show. Yeah. Uh, and It's from a generation that I didn't You know, stop, play, stop, so. d- stop poking holes in my, in my, in my joy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to ride this high. After go ride this high right out of the show. I'm going to wrap it before like, I say oh, anything okay. else. Here we go into the into the housekeeping. Uh, we'll be we'll be back with a new random Nintendo on September. Tw- I'm so happy right now. We'll be back with new random Nintendo on September 26th. Uh, no, I'm exaggerating really? for a fact, but it's going to that episode should be a good one on the 26th. It's going to be kind of wacky. We'll have WarioWare like Kevin and I both alluded to. Uh, also, I'll have Cruise and Blast. Plus, who knows that maybe we'll have a Nintendo Direct. Maybe that uh Switch price drop will happen. So. You know, maybe by the time you're listening to this, both of those already happened. Hard to say, but to make sure um, you don't miss it, you can subscribe and follow to us. But you also want to do that because uh, if you can't wait to hear our lovely voices for two weeks, we will have a new random Nintendo arriving on September 19th with all our non-Nintendo happenings. Uh, so again, to make sure you don't miss that, subscribe and follow. We are on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. Uh, we are on all the podcast apps, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Apple or not? I already said Apple. Amazon Music now, as Kevin announced last episode. Um, so yeah, well, how you can find us there. And uh, individually, we are on Twitter. I'm JSR Seven. Angel is Wero W E I R O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. I'm still riding this high. And Kevin, take us out with the final word. Congratulations, Angel, for the uh, Battle War Ragnarok reveal. Oh, thank you.